So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. This is Sugar Steve, and on this week's Questlove Supreme Classic, hip-hop icon and R&B hitmaker Jermaine Dupree tells 30 years of industry tales, from Fresh Fest days to career-reviving remixes. Originally released August 22, 2018. Questlove, yeah. spitting hot tracks, yeah. interviewing the man yeah. with the world's loudest hi hat. Roll call, yeah. Suprema, Suprema roll call, Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Money ain't a thing. Yeah. Cause I don't have much. Yeah. Sucks for me. Roll call, Suprema. This show's off the hook. Yeah. Like Escape Second LP. Yeah. Boss Bill is my name. Yeah. On QLS with JD. Roll call. Suprema. 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 Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. It's Laia. Yeah. With the legend AD. Yeah. Been down with him. Yeah. Since I was at the AUC. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name is JD. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's all about me. Yeah. Uh, celebrating 25 years yeah. in this crazy ass industry. Oh, hey, hey. Suprema. 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 Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. All right, I got to get this out once in the open. Jermaine, why do you why are your hi-hats so loud on your record? 
That is, you do you read, am I the only person that mentions your You're the only person game? that ever asks why, right? And, I, and I'm glad that you asked why because I feel like I don't get the credit for hi-hats being that loud <laughs> on records now. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're saying that because I, I, I did that deliberately as my thing to make, you know, like when I first, I'm going to tell you where I got it from, right? I got it from um, 7779311. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah. Wait. Are like, we are we about to break his heart right now? No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let Prince take the credit. <laughs> Keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> the way the hi hats sound on that record. Yeah. They. That's the focus. I. I. When I was younger and I wanted, I was playing drums. That's all I used to try to play that beat. And my focus was that hi hat. So then, you know, for some reason, when I started making beats on the drum machine. I just wanted my beats to sound like that. So once I started making one and people said something about the hi-hat, I was like, oh, okay, this is my thing. So then I did it on You Make Me Wanna with Usher record, and it was like... That's the first time you heard the... It was loud as his voice. Yes, very loud. And that's how I wanted I wanted you to be able to turn the record down as low as you could possibly turn it down and hear the vocals and the hi-hat. See, the thing is, though, um, as... Well, I mean, now we have like tech, uh, you know, uh, uh, technology that doesn't. We don't have to spin on records anymore, you know, because we used to ride and whatnot. But the thing is, is that uh, usually shuffles and hi hats leave an imprint on the wax. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Thriller, the shuffle of Billy Jean leaves a sort of spiral design inside the actual groove of the wax. So. Mm-hmm. You're very technical. I've never waited to tell Yeah, but all, all of your... <laughs> Wait a second. You're staring at th- at the actually, vinyl of yeah, Thriller with a microscope. Actually, come on. Let me tell you something. Yeah. This, this is something I noticed when I was like three years old. So. I, yeah. I know oh, exactly wow. what you're talking okay. about. Oh. It, like, it looks like Tiger Stripes. Yeah, the grooves of all the other songs on Thriller yeah. are, look normal, but Billie Jean, like, that's when I noticed like, oh, high-end high end, uh, Fidelity stuff, they leave an imprint on the wax, wow. which... Leads to any time I've spun anything produced by you, especially Money Ain't the Thing. There's this whole what was what was the game we used to get uh, as kids where you do the like spir- what was a spirograph? Yeah, it's not a game, but the spinning thing. Yeah, it's it, is that still a thing today, or is that like I did I just date myself? Nineteen seventy spirograph. I don't know what that is. Okay, JD, were you were you because <laughs> JD was born in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Come on, Jay. Come on, bro. Spirograph. Uh, uh, okay. Will you take us? Never mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, well, this is classic Quest Love Supreme where I didn't even officially introduce our guest. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. Look, I had to get the high hat. I'm a drummer. I had to get the high hat question out the way. I'm glad you did that. All right, so uh, another episode of Quest Love Supreme. Uh, hello, Team Supreme. How hey, are you? hey, hey. I assume that Fonte is fixing his countertop. Probably. Or his pool, whatever. Or making videos doing it, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I will say that enough has not been said about our next guest, and I believe that he also agrees with me that enough has not been said about him. Um, 
that's sort of like one of the dangerous uh, things about hip hop culture um, or this disposable hip hop culture that we have um, where, you know, we discover great resources and we use them to the hilt and then we kind of are on to the next thing and revisionism sets in and usually the person with the biggest check gets to rewrite history and suddenly everyone has a foggy memory on who pioneered what and and whatnot. Uh, but I, I will say that numbers don't lie. And for 35 plus years, uh, our guest today has been a figurehead in hip hop in all the areas, be it uh, as a producer, as a songwriter, uh, for some of the defining moments in hip hop and R&B culture, or as a label head, a manager, um, and as an artist in his own right. I can even say a dancer. This man is connected uh, to more people than I care to announce. If I announce them all, the show will be over. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Quest Love Supreme, the one and only Jermaine Dupree. Whoa, what an intro. Woo. I need to use that intro on my DJ set. I'm going to use that. That's what I'm going to use. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. JD. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how's it going, man? Oh, it's going. All right, so for our listeners, and I'm, I'm trying to pack every question I can. Uh, first of all, I was shocked. You were born in Asherville, North Carolina? Asheville, yeah. Asheville, North Carolina. Isn't that the hippie community? I'm not sure. I was. I, I left there when I was two. Okay. Because so, yeah, I'm not sure. Usually for the roots, usually Asheville, North Carolina is like it's it's such a a, a, a hippie territory. It's like, a mountain town. So yes, yeah. like some of the think of like the Bonnaroo's, but times a billion. Like there's always jam bands performing there, and you know we've done many a show there because sounds like jd ain't been back that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, you know I, I, I was i was put in atlanta when i was two okay so what what made your family uh move to atlanta uh because atlanta's the big city to Asheville and you know north carolina is like that's what they look to at a back i guess back then is the place to go to have like fun like it's almost like how people go from la to vegas and you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's like that type of situation i think I see. I think. So, uh, <laughs> as far <laughs> you got in, you got in the, the the business early, but what describe what life was like in Atlanta? Because usually, I'll say that for me, my first my first education on Atlanta, especially being how old I was, were the uh, the the unfortunate uh, the the Atlanta child murder situation. Sure. With mm-hmm. Wayne Williams. Yeah. Who looks. I know my boss Bill looking at me like don't say nothing out of line, but then he kind of looked like Walter Clyde Orange from the Commodores. Oh my god! Wow! <laughs> wow! Oh my god! Sorry. Now that you said it, yeah, he looked like Walter Clyde Orange mm, from the Commodores. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's shaking bit. their head. Yeah, Walter, I love you. My idol. You're German. Anyway, that was my my introduction to Atlanta. But mm-hmm. what was your childhood like in Atlanta? Like, did it always have culture? And um, yeah, I think you know um. You know, skating for kids was the culture of Atlanta. Like, so when you see like ATL, that movie was basically what child, you know, my childhood was, that was it for me to go to the skating rink. Um, You get away from your parents, you get to listen to music, you get to dance, you get to skate, you get to talk to girls. Everything happened at the skating rink. That was for young kids anyway. Um, Coming up, basically, that was it for me. And then talent shows. Atlanta was full of talent shows. All the schools had talent shows and... You know, um, I was just doing that, hitting schools and doing talent shows and going to skating rink. It was not really much. It wasn't really much of a 
music scene in Atlanta, but it was a it was a scene for like dancers and the culture, like I'm saying, like skating and stuff like that. Musically, it wasn't really. We had SOS Band and we had Brick. Okay. And that was you know oh and Peebo Bryson, and those were Peebo was like you know he was like Rick Ross in Atlanta back then like Word. that was the, that was his you know, <laughs> that's Peebo's town he'd be basically. up in the club and then... Peebo he was wait just, did you know, you... he had the, he had the penthouse downtown you know he used to drive by my day he's like that's that's uh, Peebo Bryson's house I should be like man I'm gonna get me one of them shits one day like he's just you know like that so oh okay yeah so was your father always in the music industry or was... Yeah, from from what I can remember, my dad was basically like a roadie that turned into like a road manager that turned into like a you know um, a production manager more than anything. Because my dad played drums, so he was like more like a production guy for the drummers of Brick and you know SOS Band. And then he got into you know morphed into more doing more production for you know doing more production for all of these artists. And I used to just be there at rehearsal watching and looking, and then cameo and you know right. um, it started growing, but it was just. Those those were the main artists in Atlanta. How old were you at that point when you were watching these bands? Like nine. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. like nine. That sounds about right. Yeah. Now, uh, we've discovered here on Questlove Supreme that all the name brand super producers have some sort of DJ history before they went into production. So did you have any... DJ history prior to your yeah 100% I mean um when I went on the Fresh Fest at 12 um Grandmaster D basically was showing me how to DJ and like I didn't know what to scratch like scratch he showed me how to scratch mm-hmm. I used to just want to always scratch I used to go behind the turntables while they was doing sound check and try to scratch and he's like yeah Yo, you know don't 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 touch my don't stereo. touch my set I'm gonna show you how to do it so oh, okay. Um, I kind of, you know, I can say I got personal lessons from Grandmaster D and Jam Master J of how to actually DJ um, and, you know, actually scratch and, you know, go back and forth on the records. Like, that's what my introduction to DJing. So then I left the tour and went home and I told my parents that, you know, I want turntables for Christmas. That's so weird because, like, coming up, because Run DMC, uh, well, because Jay actually scratched on Run DMC records. Always wonder why Larry Smith never let Grandmaster D physically scratch. Not until like the the third record, when the Open Sesame record. Then I finally heard scratch, and I was like, "Oh, he can cut." But everybody and their mother swore to God that like Grandmaster D was like stealing the show at the Fresh Fest, doing like all these tricks on his head, and so he was a legit bona fide. DJ. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, all those tricks, and they'll pick him up, and he'll scratch, you know, he eh, 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 with his mouth on the crossfader, right. and yeah, he was doing it. He was going. So, being as though the Fresh Fest was the first major stadium tour for hip-hop, mm-hmm. one, how did you get on the Fresh Fest? <laughs> Two, what was that shit like? Um, Well, I got on the Fresh Fest because the Fresh Fest was created in Atlanta by a guy by the name of Ricky Walker. Um, Ricky Walker now... Cre- has created um, Universe Soul Circus. Oh. It's the same guy. This okay. guy created that, and then he went and did the circus thing now. But he created the Fresh Fest, and um, my father was the production manager on the Fresh Fest, um, and they just needed an open act. You know, at that time, they used to be like, they need an opening act to kill time or buy time or whatever it was, and they would just put anybody on. No no in-house music playing, no iPods. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, it wasn't nothing. nothing like that. They needed somebody to, you know, buy, you know, give, I don't even understand what that was, but they was buying time, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
they was like, well, do y'all have anybody to put on? And they suggested that I could come out and dance, and they let me come out and dance. And the show in Atlanta was the first show of the Fresh Fest, and it worked well with the time. Mm-hmm. So then it was like, well, can Jermaine do this for the rest of the tour? And I didn't know what that was. My mother didn't know what it was. Nobody knew what it was. There wasn't no money involved. It was just like... What was your routine? Um, I had a dance routine where I came out to It's Time and a couple of other records where I just was just on stage freestyling, just dancing. And it, and I was little. So, you know, when you're a little kid oh, dancing, so you, yeah. the crowd goes crazy. So it was like a, it was kind of like the circus kind of like, you know what I mean? You just, <laughs> you don't know what you're looking at. You're just watching and it looks like I'm doing more than what I probably was doing. So how many acts were on? Well, I know it was Fat Boys, Houdini and Run DMC. Who, like, I'm sure there had to have been accessory was on, on there. UTFO was on the tour. Um, Grandmaster Flash was on the tour. Um, everybody that was hot at that era was on the tour. How long would each act get? Probably like fifteen minutes. I mean, they never had that many records. And 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 Run Run was really like you know this is my shit. So you gotta you know. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, I better hurry up. You know, Reverend Run Reverend Run had a real you know he had that real thing about him. And Curtis Blow was on the tour, so it was Curtis Blow, Run DMC, the Fat Boys, Houdini, Grandmaster Flash. The Dynamic Breakers, um, and I think Ozone and Turbo. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. See, this is what I appreciate, because I know as a youngster, <laughs> as, as a person that was young then, you were definitely in a fly-on-the-wall situation. Oh, that anyone else couldn't, like, if I were, whatever, 30-plus years old, at the they'd be like, hey, get the fuck out of here. But with you as a kid, I'm certain that you allowed in spaces that... I wasn't supposed to be in, but at the same time, they was trying to tell me to get the fuck out of there. But it was like <laughs> I was just like, no, I'm, you know, I'm right. here. I'm, I'm not paying no attention to y'all doing this, and I'm not, you know, but I've seen everything. But I it's just everything. anyone from that era never has a recollection. Like DMC, my, you know, I'll ask him a few things, and he, man, my memory's foggy. I don't remember, man. Like you know, so it's, I remember it's, everything. It's it's and, good and, to and, and, get... and I've been trying to do this movie about basically about my life, kind of like that. And I've been having people tell me that. It's hard to do a movie for a kid showing what I want y'all to see that I saw. Um, Streaming. Because it's, you gotta it's, go to Netflix. R, it's R-rated and it's say, not, you know. Um, you gotta yeah, go to but, Netflix. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. a, it sounds like a series, too, because that's a long life. That's a, that's, that's, well, I mean, I don't know how far to get back, but I'm, I'm, I'm really con- more concerned about that because what yeah, he's yeah. saying is that people, this is, I'm t- I history. know the stuff, it's not even like history, it's like a kid seeing what you don't understand a kid saw. Like I saw artists come to life. I saw artists doing drugs. I saw I just saw everything that at twelve you don't really understand what you're seeing. At the time, since you're going, you're touring and whatnot, is your dad your only chaperone? Because he's working. Yeah, so he's, he not can even, only... he's not really right. my chaperone. I'm out there basically by myself. He's working. I'm I'm running around. All of these other guys are my chaperones. That's why <laughs> that's why Houdini, like for real, that's that's why Houdini actually became like my brothers, and you know they became like the guys that was with me all the time. Not that my father wasn't paying attention. It was just that I'm, I saw that as a move for me to start getting away from him and just like. Right. Hanging out more, and I wasn't like out late at night and nothing like that. None of the none of the guys ever let me do anything like that. It was just all about the tour and like when the show was going on, I was everywhere at the show, Sorry. all over the place. Wait, this is this is how nerdy I am because it didn't even occur to me to ask about like oh the the salacious shit you right. saw. My nerd ass is trying to figure out. Well, wait a minute, what was the backline situation? So like, what was sound check like? 
I know monitors are ringing. Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, how does, from a production standpoint, how does the show run concurrently and smoothly without this DJ being like, who broke my mixer? Then, like, nah, they all had different sets. So oh, it was okay. like, it was like, um, probably like five tables sitting in the back, right? So oh, every time good. somebody come off, they'll move that table and put that guy set up there. And nobody was nobody was using the same turntables. That definitely wasn't happening on that tour. See, that era was scaring me because I know that with dancers, there's always skipping records. Yeah. And and that's what made Jam Master J to me one of the best live DJs ever because he you know, waited his he needles. Knew, he knew how to, you know, move in a land of where that would never happen. He was like a drummer on. He was like you on stage. Like he could really just like do whatever he wanted with those turntables and make them, you know, play the way he wanted them to play. So when they asked you, I'm sorry, I just want when they asked you to do the record years later, uh what was the down with the king joint? Cuz that was the that was the only time y'all worked together again the next Oh, time. Run DMC, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That must have been like a whole full circle moment since, you know, going from a kid and what you were saying how, you know, Run was such a boss on tour or whatnot. I mean, it was all of us a full circle. I signed Houdini to so so yeah. Dev. Like it was a complete full circle. Like I was a kid looking up to these guys and they was teaching me and telling me things and then I felt so, you know, um connected to them that I wanted to sign them and give them what I felt like I was giving to the rest of the world. So when it when it was over, like the last day of the Fresh Fest, I don't even remember that. Well, <laughs> I, well, okay. Were they all? Were, I know there were like two or three Fresh Fests. Did you do it every year or just yeah, the one did particular year? Eighty four, eighty five, and eighty six. Okay, so when the Fresh Fest is officially over, like how do you return to normalcy? How do you go back to Atlanta or whatever wherever your home base was? Assume that you lived in Atlanta. Like, how do you explain this to your friends? How do you explain what you saw? And like, well, that's that's what actually really happened. Is like, when I was on, I went on tour at twelve, right? And in Atlanta, Atlanta wasn't a city that was used to performing artists. Right. We didn't. We don't have a performing art school or nothing like that. When at when I was twelve, so I was in a regular school, and I had a tutor. But when I came back from tour, and I took my grades back to the school, the school system told my tutor that they couldn't accept it. Like they what? just was like, we don't, that's not, we're not used to this. We're not going to accept all of this work. So I'm like, wait a minute. I did this work. You're not going to make it seem, I'm not going to be left back. I I was on the bus doing work. Like I had a tutor. So right then and there, I was like, man, fuck this. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this. So it was like, my life changed right there at like 14, 15 years old. My life just changed where it was like, I, I, I became doing home study and I didn't go to school anymore. And then it was just like the drive to make sure that this didn't turn into something completely bad. But was it weird for you? Because, you know, on tour, I don't know if you had anyone to relate to that was your age. And then you're not in an environment, in a school environment where you have sop hops or a prom or, you know, just like regular, you know... Sock hops. <laughs> okay, motherfucker, I'm fifty. Nah, okay. nah. Any, that's worse than this. I said what is sop? What's sop? What that's, is that? That's the sophomore prom. What's a sop hop? S O P. Sop hop. I think Bill knows what I'm talking. What the word? You, you gonna leave me out here alone? I, I only know it what it is because I heard you say sophomore. I saw it on Greece. Sop sop hops are 
That's where John Tavolta and Olivia Newton-John went. Okay, in the maybe someone Greece. that went to school in the eighties. Like I'm that telling was, you what it is. It's a good reference. Please explain it to me. I thought you said sock hop. It's right, where I, Olivia. I, I get it, Jay. You, you're, you're, I mean, you I was born 12, in two thousand. I, I was twelve in the eighties. You're still this. twelve now. I get it. <coughs> I get tell it. Me I get what it. it was. Come on. I, you're I young. Okay. I get it. All right. So Those sock hops are like the senior dance thing. Right. The senior prom. Oh yeah. I never. You go on your junior prom, then you go on your senior prom. But it happened in the fifties. No, that's sock. It's oh, sock. You're thinking of Greece. Okay, sock. I S-O-P. Sorry. I have a cold, so. I don't know what that Someone. Means. All right. Uh, okay. I don't know what it's right, thank you. I'm the oldest person in the room. Know. Thank you, yeah. Steve. I don't know your, what that your, is. Your frisbee probably. and your hula hoop just arrived. <laughs> <also. laughs> your nerf ball. Anyway. All right. Here's, here's my point. My point is that, you know, not, I mean, I don't know, like, what your relationship is like with your cousins or your, like, your, your family, but just to not. To be isolated from people your age, like how was it? Was it a lonely, isolated experience where it's just like oh, I'm hanging with these adults all the time and not? Nah, because I looked at it like this was the only way I was gonna get close to what I was in love with at the time. And these guys was dancing all day. To turn, you said you wanted to know what sound check was like. Sound check right. was like because we had two stages. We had a middle stage and we had a big stage, right? The the rappers was on the main stage, and then the stage in the middle was all the dancers. So in sound check, all the dancers would be out there dancing together at all at one time, like just oh, okay. everybody dancing. So it's like I'm getting the opportunity to see moves and all of this stuff, and I'm not watching videos. I'm actually watching this and I'm learning. So it was to me, it was like being at school. But the school that I wanted to be at. I, f- I first heard about you, um, like I, well, before the internet, Ride On magazine was like every every black teen's like religion. You know what that is, JD? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was, better I was, know. I, was, I think that was his first article. That's yeah, what I'm leading to. I was in there. Shout out to Cynthia Horner. <laughs> yes, she put me yeah. in there. Yeah, I was going to say, JD, do you remember being in Ride On? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. 100%. So I think at the time, was Silk Times Leather your first project or what yes. were you? How did you get into production? Uh, well, let me tell you, Silk Times Leather were girlfriends of Houdini, right? Okay. So they was out on the tour doing what the girlfriends out on the tour do, basically. And I was on the side of the stage when these girls came up, and I was like, you know, checking them out. I'm young, so I'm checking the girls out. And they was, you know, they was these was guys performing. So then we, we just got to know each other because they was out there like I was out there. And it was like, you know, I'm running around. They running around, so then they pick me up, take me, well, we go to catering or whatever it is. It was something that had something to do with touring. Right. So, um, long story short, I learned that these girls were from Atlanta. So then it was like, oh, shit. Yeah, from Atlanta. And they was like, yeah, so we going back home. When you get back home, call us, and we'll come pick you up. We got a car, take you, get something to eat. They was really super nice, and this, that, and the third. So when I got back- Were they your age at the time? No. Because no. I don't even remember Silk Times no, Leather. No. So they were older. Yeah, that's not cool. You don't remember that. No, that's all I remember Silk Times Leather. Stop playing. It's all good. I wasn't born then. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Oh, oh. <laughs> now, it's, you were born when uh, Rap City was on, on, on. Yeah. That's when he was born? When, it came, when Rap City came on? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah. So, I, you know, they lived in Atlanta, and basically, um, at this particular point in time, I was so deep into hip hop, and I was paying attention to everybody's movement. And Herbie Lovebug was moving at this particular point in time. He had Salt and Pepper. I right. think he had just dropped Kid and Play, and Kwame was. You know, he had what I thought I was. You know, what I was looking at trying to figure a out. Movement. Yeah, movement. So, um. The girls, they was, you know, they was into salt and pepper. And some kind of way I found out that they wanted to be rappers or they was rapping or whatever. And out of nowhere, I just said, well, y'all should let me write y'all songs. 
I don't know what I was thinking about because I ain't had no drum machines or nothing. But I just felt like I could do it. And they was like, okay, well, what, how are you going to do it? And I'm like, we'll figure it out. Right? So and <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm guessing that I'm thinking that when I said this to them, I didn't, I didn't think they was going to take me up on it. They called my phone when I got back home, or they called my house, and they was like, we're going to come over your house. So they came over my house, and they came, they got really familiar with my mom and got, you know, really friendly, and my mother trusted them, and I started going out, hanging out with them, and, and it was all about just hanging out, and then we, I was always talking about making music. So then I figured out how to call the drummer from Brick, Eddie Irons. He was the drummer for Brick. I called him. He had a studio called 2560 in Atlanta. So I called him. I'm like, yo, I want to make some records, and he was like, okay. What you want to do? And I'm and I'm and I'm bartering his you services. Made, you made the call. Yeah, I'm bartering his services. Like, yo, um, <laughs> and you I, are how about, old at this who, point? You, you, I'm 15. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that's amazing me because there's no one to barter for you. And like, you haven't your written a manager. song yet either, technically. Yeah. I, well, nah. Well, yeah, I did. So, so ultimately, like my first song, Shadi wrote my first song, and MC this is Shadi. Yeah, MC Shadi wrote the first song that I ever did, and that. He taught me how to write songs, basically watching him write this song for me. So when he wrote this song, it was called It's Me, that I used to perform on the Fresh Fest. It was a song that he wrote, but he wasn't really saying everything that I wanted to say. So I was in this position where I had this song where I was saying these lyrics that he wrote, but I wanted to say something else. And I, didn't, I wasn't skilled enough to change the lyrics while I was on stage because I thought I was just going to destroy the song. Right. So, So... I did the song the way I had learned the song because I wasn't skilled enough to change it. But I knew in my mind I wanted to change the lyrics. So long story short, he got me into writing. So from the Fresh Fest, I came off the Fresh Fest in 86 with us rapping and writing songs. Right. So and, and, and I, I, I jumped the piece because I met Chad Elliott, who was who was um, he came in second place to the Fat Boys. In the disco fever, the um, light skinned dude. Yeah, yeah. All right, you remember in <laughs> Crush Groove? Yeah, the skinny, yeah, yeah. light skinned dude. So <laughs> he's real. Oh my god. <laughs> Yo, where is Chad Elliott? Now? Uh, he's here. He's in New York. Um, Chad, Chad actually is gonna induct me into the Sunrise Hall Dope. of Fame Thursday. Um, what? Yes. So wait, he has a. Oh, so I'm give you. I'm gonna give you all his history. Yeah, so, hit me. Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams. Women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. 
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So, you know, Chad, me and Chad, because you said there's nobody I hung out with. So I met Chad later on in the Fresh Fest in like 85. So 80. 83, 84, 85, 80, yeah, 84, 85, and 86 was the Fresh Fest. So in 85, I met Chad. We started, they put uh, Charlie Stetler. You know Charles Stetler? No. You know Charles Stetler. Yeah. Okay. Charles Stetler was the Fat Boys manager. He managed Chad. He started managing Chad after the Disco Fever contest. He came to the tour and said, if the fat boys stay on this tour, y'all got to put Chad Elliott on this tour because Jermaine's opening. So he made Chad right. the second opener after me. So it was like I go, then Chad go. And then people caught, start trying to pit us together, and it never worked. We weren't, you know, we didn't really care about y'all that. Y'all should be a group. Yeah, well, that didn't happen. We was just age. like kicking it. And then it was like <laughs> we should be a group. So okay. this was like the first version of Crisscross, actually, if you think about it. Uh, one dark-skinned, <laughs> light-skinned kid. So um, <laughs> okay. um, fast forward to that. Me and Chad really start hanging out. So at the end of the tour, you want to know what happened at the end of the, at the end of the tour. I moved to Brooklyn with Chad Elliott. So he lives he lives in Brooklyn. I came here to Brooklyn and I lived almost a year with him okay. um, in Brooklyn, basically soaking up every bit of hip hop and New York culture that I could actually uh-huh. get. Right, okay. every bit of it, everything. So Break- you were in Brooklyn, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, right yeah. when art, when everything was happening, blossom. everything's got you know, Jay Z's coming to life in Fort Greene and. Um, Big Daddy Kane's recording demos in um, Fresh Gordon's house in Fort Greene Projects. All of this stuff, I'm right down the street from this and knowing that this is happening, right? So I'm staying in on in um, in Brooklyn on Nostra, New York Street, right. Eastern Parkway, just for anybody who's listening. Yeah, I was staying over there. Um, and um, This is 87? I don't actually know the year, but yeah, it's right after the Because there's a certain nightclub I want to ask you about, but... <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, cue that up. Yeah, just, I, I got a cue. <laughs> Do you have a Latin quarter story? No, I don't. Thank Fuck. the Lord. <laughs> I couldn't get in there. I was too young. Ah, damn. I was okay. too young. So, so, yeah, so Chad ac- actually introduced me to Breakbeats and... 
the sound of New York at that particular time. And that's when my appetite for production and making records came to life. So what happened was I would take break beats and I would play the breaks and I would start writing. And I knew that you had to, you know, catch the break and play another one. So we was, we, you know, we had a box and we started Pause pause taping and making these beats with break beats. So that's basically how... I started, so when I got back to Atlanta, that's, that's the part of the story. The that's when I made the call, and I'm like, yo, I want to make so some records. You brought breakbeat culture to Atlanta. Well, I don't think people heard it. That's what made me become more of a producer, because I told this guy, sample these beats. I told him, I want this beat to be the song. What was your weapon of choice back then? Like, what machinery did they have? I mean, I think they had, he had a, what was it? SB12? A, a or DM. A, a DMX? A DMX. That, okay. That's what he had, right? Right, yeah. So you couldn't really sample. So okay. then I found these these white guys across the you know, on the other side of town. Right. They had an emulator. Uh-huh. And the emulator could sample. Yeah. So I'm like, shit, they could do it with this machine. They didn't want to do it either. They didn't understand what I was saying. They was like, you want us to take people's music? And I'm like, yes, take the oh, beat. Moral culture. <laughs> I'm like, yo, take the beat. I want to rap over this beat. So then they tried to recreate the breaks right. with drum sounds. And I'm like, ew. Like, this is not what I'm talking about, right? So the frustration of this made me become a producer. So then I just started, like, I'm going to figure this out. See, this is weird. So you're the first person of note that I know that's not from New York that persisted until they found the satisfactory production technique that they knew in their heart they felt was hip-hop. Because usually anyone else that I talk to from other territories... It's just like, okay, well, I'll just do it on the drum machine and, and you know, 808, no, I got I, I hate, it. That's it. I hate it. Like, when I heard you, I was like, oh, my God, is this is, is he for real? Like, this guy understands what I'm talking about. I used, I'd be hating to hear drummers just play beats and it don't sound like the, right, like the what I want it to sound like. Right. Like, tune the snare a little bit, make it, make it do something, right? So right. this was what I was going through. So the frustration that I was going through and not hearing beats the way I wanted forced me to become a producer and start like hitting the drum machines and whatever whatever so long story short i got in there and i started getting eddie to you know let me touch the drum machine and give him ideas about the silk times leather record and i wrote a song called um the woman in me or something like that and i think uh no work it out work it out by silk times leather and we got a deal with warner brothers they got signed Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. They was pretty girls, and, you know, I think that's what they was going for more than the music. They didn't really care about the music. They didn't really care about me, but I think they was into the girls, and they thought they could sell them based on how they look. So at what point are the the, the training wheels taken off, and then you are like, okay, I can make these beats now, as, as opposed to sample this and sample that? and Well, Silk Times Leather, I think they sold 15,000 copies. So 15,000 copies to the writer of all the music is like, you know, $15,000 maybe or something right. like, you know. So I took that money and I went and put my drum machine on layaway and I got a 505 drum machine I put on layaway, right? Because I didn't really have all my money, but I had enough to put the drum machine on layaway. When I got the back end of my money, I went and got the drum machine. So then I start making beats, but the beats still didn't sound like I wanted them. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to make this beat of how I want it to be. When I get to the studio, I'm going to change the sounds. I'm going to have him change the sounds. So I started going to the studio, and I was telling Eddie, change the sound of the kick. I want it to sound like this, and I want it to sound like this. And nobody was getting what I was saying. It's like, okay, all right, this is just killing me. So then I got another check from the Silk Times Leather album that allowed me to get a Sonic EPS. 
Ah, okay. Right? So when I got the Insonic EPS, I thought I had walked into heaven because I could sample and I could do everything that I've been telling everybody else to do. So I just stayed up night after night after night after you night. You taught yourself how to do yeah, this? I stayed read, up. Read the manual? No, I ain't read nothing. I just... <laughs> never read that, the manual. No one ever reads never. the manual yeah, on the show? Yeah, I didn't read nothing. I just started messing with it because I, I already dreamed that they told me at the store... That what it would do? do what I wanted. So right. if I'm think if you tell me it's gonna do what I want, then I'm gonna start trying to do what I want. I seen the sample button, I'm trying to do what I want. And I learned immediately that it didn't do what I want. But you know, that's the learning you caught thing. On. Yeah, I caught on. So with that, I just started making songs because the EPS was easier and I started making songs and just doing my own little demos. And I met Left Eye, and then um she started living with me. And she was so she moved from Philly to Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. So she moved from Philly to Atlanta, and she hooked up with this guy named Ian Burke, who brought her to my house. Now I didn't have nothing at this time; I just had equipment that I had just bought and I was working. And he was like, "You should go over to JD's house and y'all work." And so she came over to my house. We started working, and we was writing songs basically together. Okay. And then I went to the mall with the DJ from Silk Times Leather. Okay. And I saw Crisscross. And they was in the mall already, just chilling. So that's a real story. A real story. Yeah. Okay. I, I, all this time, I thought it was like, oh, that's more a story. Like, <laughs> there's somebody no, in this church it's or whatever. One hundred percent real story. I went to the mall. I'm in the mall shopping, and I'm looking in the corner, and it's these kids that people are actually paying attention to. And I'm like, why are y'all paying so much attention to these kids? And I'm thinking like, okay, maybe it's like one of these Nickelodeon groups I don't know or something like that. Right. So I walk over to them. I'm like, yo, what's up? They're like, what's up? I'm saying like, what do y'all do? They're like, we don't do nothing. We just kick it. And I'm like, y'all just kick it? I'm like, why is people, why the girls like all at y'all? And they're like, that's because that's what we do. We got girls. <laughs> like, that's what's happening. And it was like, they, they was 11, 11, 11, 11, 12 years old. And I'm like, and they knew what swag was. They swag was they was the definition of swag to me at that time. I didn't even have that type of swag. I was just trying to be a producer. Right. These guys was in the mall, flexing, talking to girls, spending money, all kind of things, and getting sneakers. So I was like, damn, where, where y'all get all this from? Are y'all a group? They're like, nah, we don't rap. We don't do none of that. We just come to the mall. We cool. Oh. Everybody <laughs> like us because we cool. And I'm like, okay. Immediately, I just stopped, and my mind was like. If I write them a song, this shit is gonna go. Did they know who Jermaine Dupri was? No, they thought I was like a pervert or something. Oh damn! To, I swear, <laughs> they thought I, they was like, "Why do you want my number?" Because I asked them for their number, and then luckily, one of the the mothers, one of their mothers, walked up okay. and she read Jet magazine. Okay. So in the Jet magazine that had just come out, there was a, like a little issue about article about female rappers, and it had Salt and Pepper and the girls groups, girl groups that are coming behind them. And right. Silk Times Leather happened to be one of those groups. So she recognized the DJ from being in the Jet magazine. Damn. So she was like, I know her. I seen her in the Jet. So they are somebody. That saved me because Chris and Chris was like, nah, well, I'm not giving you my number. Like you said, it, it was an or in Atlanta <laughs> wow. about the missing, mur missing and murdered kids. <laughs> and they was from that neighborhood. So, you know what I mean? That was a stranger danger. Yeah, bro. it was a stranger danger, you know, of a situation. So um, I'm telling them, like, yo, I want y'all to come over to my house and kick it. And they were still like, come over to your house and kick it. What, is, what are we doing? Like, because they, they weren't into music. So they didn't right. even understand what I was trying to get them to do. Right. Um, so... You know, that passed, and I would, like, go get them from school and just try to hang out with them, and i become their friend more than just talk about music. So I did that, and then I started noticing that they was in the backseat rapping. Okay. 
to music that I was playing. And they was rapping all the lyrics and really doing that shit in the car like that. What did they gravitate towards? Ice Cube. America's Most Wanted. The whole album. I heard paybacks a motherfucker. <laughs> they was going crazy in my car. This is weird for me up. to imagine kids <laughs> actually gravitating crazy. towards shit that I actually like. Because usually, like, the generational divide, kids are always liking the shit that I don't like. You know what I'm saying? I was about the same age as, as Chris Cross yeah, when they but, came out. No, hold on. And, like, America's Most Wanted, like, Ice Cube was my shit. Was around unavoidable. That. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, that's, that's what they was like. Ice Cube fanatics. But that's it, all they wanted to hear was Ice Cube. Um, so... We played a whole Ice Cube tape from their house to my house, and they was rapping all the lyrics. So I was thinking, like, okay, so if they like this, like this, and they rapping every word, and they doing all the inflections, they sound just like he sound when he moves his voice. I said, if I figure out how to do that and write a song for them that they like, they possibly could do the same thing for me. So then I just went in the house and I told them, I said, I'm going to write a song for y'all, and if y'all like it, I need y'all to rap it just like y'all doing this Ice Cube shit. And they was like, okay, whatever. So I did this song where I sampled... Michael Jackson um, and Paul McCartney called The Girl Is Mine, and I was trying to make them fight about The Girl Is Mine, and this was the song that I wrote. And I sampled Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, and I put Left Eye on the record because she was the girl. The girl? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yo, do you have a different, you have a different <laughs> with this joint? Look, look, listen, listen. I'm I, would, never, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear never, that. I would never. Yo, I would never. Before you leave this earth, I'm going to find that shit. I will never, never. She's rapping on this joint, right? Is she rapping on this joint? She's the girl. So it's like my idea. Like, the girl is mine. He's Paul McCartney. He's Michael Jackson. And she's the girl. This was my whole little scheme. Okay, even though you won't let the public ever hear this, <laughs> do you know where that tape is? I mean, it's a tape. Yeah, I know. It's a tape. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're going to play that shit for me <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, you know, I, that was the beginning. I'm starting to make these songs. And then I realized that they weren't Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. They were little ice cubes. Like they want, they were from the southwest side of Atlanta, which people call Swats. the Swats. That's where they from. Um, and they would come home from school and tell me stories about how Jermaine, you don't even know it's little kids in my school is eleven years old. They selling all the dope. They got all the dope, and they had like socks where they wear shorts and they have like multiple socks and they put all the work inside the socks and they go to school. So they used to give me all this game and I didn't know about because I didn't finish school like that and I ain't go with these kids. So. I used to just listen to them and be amazed, like, damn, this is crazy. And I'm like, who knows about this? So then I just start thinking about them rapping Ice Cube and the stories they was telling me. And I'm like, little boys in the hood. This is what y'all are. Y'all are little boys in the hood. It's boys in the hood, but y'all are little boys in the hood. And y'all see the crazy shit that everybody else sees, but don't nobody actually believe it. So that was my goal, to write a song called Little Boys in the Hood. I wrote this song, and I sent the song to Joe the Butcher in Philly. <laughs> and... When I sent the song to Joe the Butcher, he hit me right back like, I love it. Let's sign him. And I was like, what? Oh, shit. We got a deal. Just like that. He was ready to go. So then he brought us to Rough House for basically it wasn't a real deal. It was a uh, you know, development deal. Yeah, deal. yeah, right. So it was a five-song development deal. I didn't have five songs. I had four songs. Um, And he was like, well, we need five songs. So on the night or the day before we was going to Philly... I wrote Jump. Wow. Classics always get written like 10 <laughs> minutes later. Right, right. Yeah, and I wrote, this song in, I wrote this song in 30 minutes. Yo, every song. Where did, where did it start from? Where did Jump start? Like, what was the first thought in your mind? Kids. Something, what did the kids some, do? Something kitty, something kitty. So I went after Michael Jackson. Like, he was a kid. This was, they, was, they was kids. So he was a kid artist. 
sample something Michael Jackson. So I started playing with the turntables and I heard this ABC and I was like, I shouldn't let it play all the way out. I should chop it and just catch something. And I, I don't know what made me do that. And I just caught the first part, boom, boom, boom. And I left it. And I was like, this shit sounds crazy. I, and I, was, I went back and I did it again, boom, boom, I'm boom. Slow. And I stopped it. And I'm like, I'm not letting the rest of it play. I'm going to just keep doing like that. Wait, motherfucker. You, you no. trying to, wait. Hold right up, here, because right somebody here. is listening to this no. podcast don't right say now. It. Don't say and it. They like, no, don't say it. Oh, right do not say it. Do not say it right here. Right here. We all know that's I Want You Back. And I'm I sorry. mean, well, I said the wrong song. My bad. My I gotta say, <laughs> come on, dog. You uh, know that's I do now. I want you back. Yeah, my bad. I said ABC. Oh. I was, but I said ABC because. I was thinking, she still didn't know that it was I want you. Back. <laughs> oh, 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 that's what but the wait, whole this, thing was. Yeah, the whole thing was I didn't know but it, might, it was a Jackson listen, sample. Here's the okay. shit that's killing me. The shit that's killing me was the whole genius of that song is the fact that you managed to find a way to make Funky Worm. Oh shit! Yeah, match perfectly in key. I mean, look, I, I love the Bomb Squad to death, but we know their calling card was just throw it on the wall and see what works. They were not atonal and you know, yeah. radical. So when I first heard that shit, I was like, yo, this is some genius shit. Like, how did he know that these shits was going to seem to be in the same BPMs and in the same key? So I'm thinking this whole time, you did scientific experiments. But as with every producer that comes on the show, <laughs> their, their PC resistance is always like some afterthought, like 10-minute shit. Like, ah, I got Well, it. no. Well, the Funky Worm part, I played with it for a minute. To get it to sound like that. Oh, you bend it down to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing with it for a second. Finally, I someone put <laughs> some thought. That wasn't. That wasn't like, oh, let's go. I because I, you know, like I said, you got to think about. It. I just explained to you exactly who Crisscross was. Yeah, Crisscross was two kids from the hood that was in love with the West Coast rappers, basically Ice Cube at that point in time, right? So the Funky Worm was me grabbing what I thought was the West Coast for them, ah. so that they would like it. The sample was me trying to find something that was like Kitty because Michael Jackson was a kid right. in this era. So I was just trying to put all these elements into this one song out of every song. I mean, we already had to deal with Little Boys in the Hood, but I was just like, it could be better than this. And it could be better than this. And um, I just started, and I started thinking about every element of hip hop that I could give these kids because I knew that they could rap at this point. Like, if they was really rapping what I was doing. They, I mean, I, for whatever reason I said they could rap, they was rapping whatever I sent them, they, they would do it. So I was like, shit, let's diss ABC and <laughs> I was gonna ask about let's, that too. Let's just let's just go all the way hip hop. Because inside out is oh. So are y'all reading? So can I just wet. ask? This might be a crazy question, but now that the bail is up, and I Chris, I know now that Chris Cross didn't write their lyrics. Leave me alone. Um, is that wait? Gonna that be was a surprise listen, too. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Um, a little bit, just not a little bit of a surprise. I thought more of a collaboration. But does that mean the same thing for another bad creation in that way? Like I used to to assume that like Michael Bivens did the same thing. That was awesome. No, that was awesome. Shit. Damn. Yeah. Any, you were their age so at the time. I get it. Deep, I get it. The, you same, were, the first like child rappers or Bow Wow, the first kid rapper to really start writing their own no, stuff. No, you know JD wrote everything. No, he didn't. No, Bow Wow wrote some stuff, right? Come on. We, can I get to the science of him as a producer? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm that's sorry, Captain Obvious question. Right, right, but listen, that's, wait. Actually, I, but I'm just saying that in terms of of of. Oh. Who taught you? Because here's the thing: you're the first producer that I've spoken to since the show that 
is putting marketing savvy also in his production thoughts. Because even me as a producer, I'm certain that there's some, you know, like the equivalent of when you lose your glasses and they're on your forehead. Now I'm thinking like, damn, what obvious shit should the Roots have done to really grab fans of like live music that we didn't do? Because never once in my history did I think of, oh, what's what's the marketing thing? We need a new Earth, Wind, and Fire. Why don't you guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never heard a producer talk like a manager. So what I really want to know is, where did you get your manager marketing savvy from? Because that... From the doors being closed, right? So when I was here in New York and I had Silk Times Leather, I knew Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out from being on the Fresh Fest. And I knew them as a kid. And then when I started making records, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to just run up on here and they're going to play my records. It's cool. I know these guys. So I went up to, you know, to radio shows and Red was like, this shit is whack. Like, this ain't, this ain't, nah, this ain't gonna work, JD. And I'm like, and they told you at the time you're like 15. It's whack. They told me they didn't but, care you know, about your feelings. And they and, was, and they also was like, Atlanta's not, you know, it's country. Y'all niggas country and blah 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 blah. So I started building this mindset that it was gonna be hard for me to make music anyway or to put my music out because people weren't gonna listen to it. That's what I just started thinking. So I started thinking about everything that I could possibly do to get people to pay attention to my artists besides the music as well as the music. So, and then Left Eye was big on helping me do that because she was starting to put this condom over her left eye mm -hmm. and just thinking of crazy shit. So I was cutting my eyebrows <laughs> off and I was doing all, you know, haircuts and right. earrings and nose and we was doing everything that we could possibly do to make people pay attention to us, right? So then it was like, we need something else. We got the song, I got Jump, we need something else. When I did the Jump, when we did jump, the they clothes weren't even on backwards when we did jump. They didn't they didn't have braids, let me say this. They didn't have braids. On the first on the jump cover, they don't have braids. Ah. If you okay. look up, they got flat they got flat tops, right? They didn't have braids. So then it was like, we gotta take this to another level. We gotta take it to another level. We're gonna go to the mall, you're gonna put your jump on backwards, and we're gonna see how this works. And they was like, why? And I'm like, just listen to me. Put the jump on backwards. He had a jump on already. I just said, flip the shit around and let's go to the mall. He put his jump on backwards and we went to Lenox Square and it it looked like he had a sign on his chest that said, come towards me. People was walking up to this kid and I was like, and I just sat back like, oh, this is it. This over. It's over with. This is over with. Because once these people hear this song and they see that they dress like this, we gone. And I don't know what was the attraction with the backwards jeans. It just happened like that. You don't know what made you go turn it around or do something, not do yeah, something else. Like, like, why no, I mean, what we were trying to Chuck D's the only person I knew that spoke of a marketing angle and shit that I never even once bothered to think about. Yeah, we was trying to do things. We was in the house making tie-dye shirts and okay. tie-dye jeans and just trying to, you know, because when you ain't got shit, you try to make something, right? So that's what it was. We didn't have nothing. So it was like, what can you do to make that sweatshirt look better than what it look, does right now? Cut the sleeves off. You know, we would just try anything, right? So it was just to try to get attention. And I thought put the word quest love over it and that would make <laughs> oh, it that, play. That, yeah. play so play. His 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 um this jumper was already a hundred sizes too big. It was like a Jabot jumper where you, you right. could get in there with him. Right? <laughs> so it's just like just flip it around. Oh, the right? Just flip man. it around. So he flipped it around and it, you know, people were like bugging out. Like, where did you buy this at? And I'm but, like, it's the same shit you got on. But were they fearless enough to be like any crazy shit? I'll do it. One hundred percent. Cause see, I would have been like, oh man, I mean, I'm gonna look a, like a nut. By the way, they, they 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 started doing talent shows. I started taking them to do talent shows and performing songs before we had jump. 
So they started getting the bug to be artists and they started seeing how more people liked them than what was liking them in the mall. So once you get that going, then you start trying to make sure that people recognize you. So how did you feel about when Another Bad Creation was starting to garner steam and, you know, in your head, you were like, okay, this is good for us. Like we have someone to compare them to and... No, nah, no, nah, I, w- I wasn't really paying too much attention to that at the time because Another Bad Creation is from College Park. We are from College Park. That's right. That's they right. All, we all so from, was I each They year. all is my, like, me and Dallas Austin is like this. Oh. Like, that's my dude. Like, so we all, they was all at my house. Like, when he making ABC, I was in the studio with him. We was doing this. Like, we all cool. So they feel a certain way with Inside Out's Wiggity Wiggity Wack? Or that was I mean, you know, at, at one point it was like, listen, JD got a little boy group. We got a little boy group. It's a competitiveness going on. So I started feeling that this competitiveness of people talking. So I was like, you know what? Y'all going to be real rappers. And if you're going to be a real rapper, we're going we're gonna to make sure that people know that they want to be an R&B group and y'all are real rappers. And that's the only way we can make people understand that uh, was to say something about them. So at this point, how are you splitting up your brain? Because you said that you and Left Eye, or y'all are, y'all are friends. She just got to the, the condom in the eye. And where is the, the where's the TLC bus? They there too. Why right, didn't so, you? No, no. Listen. So, at the oh, same time that I'm making crisscross, Ian introduces Left Eye to T Boz. So then they become a group in my house called Second Nature, and they become my group. And um, the way T Boz sings is the Jermaine Dupree style of singing, like. The way she sounds, the way reason why she sounds, uh, 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 that's me. Because you demoed you the can songs hear me. First that's me doing that now. That's how she sounds because I demoed the songs and I told her she should sing like me. <laughs> oh, man. And for the rest of her life. Mm. I mean, it became the that cool was her thing. It just yeah. became the cool thing for her. So the first song that I did for her was this song called I Got It Going On. And it was like, I got it going on. And that's the tone that she took. And Dallas heard that and started making these TLC records, and they used that tone for the rest of her their career. But why, why didn't you sign them? Yeah, or because the, the the boys got signed first, right? So I was more connected to Crisscross and more into their project. Right. And then Left Eye called me one day and she was like, "Yo, we just had this meeting with Pebbles. If you uh, if y'all watch the VH1 mm-hmm. movie, she makes this phone call and she calls somebody, but they they don't say it's me, right?" She's calling me, and she's calling me to see if I'm cool with them having the meeting, right? And I said, yeah, go ahead, have the meeting. I'm cool. At that point, I wasn't thinking about having all of the artists under my umbrella. I was thinking about them getting signed so I could get some more money to make records. So I was like, shit, if they're going to sign you, just make sure I produce you and I get some money. Right. So I encouraged them to get signed to LaFace. And, you know, that was my group walking out the door. But they they all started at my house. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. 
mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, with, uh, I believe, I believe my internship at uh rough house was the first day that you guys went to europe to open up for michael jackson because i know i know that crisscross opened up for michael jackson on the dangerous tour then yes so what was were you a part of their setup 100 percent. what was that shit like and how could like were the the audiences as familiar with you guys totally. there as it was in the states totally jump was crazy over there um being on tour with michael jackson was just like <laughs> nothing that you could ever imagine you know what i mean it's like the way this guy came into his shows just the just the whole setup of the whole shit like say for instance this was like the cafeteria area when you're eating right and you know how cafeterias are when you're in tour. It's the open or it's a place that you go into. Well, on his tour, it was always an open space. They did it in an open space. They didn't do it inside a thing. Because he wanted everybody to see when he was coming in and how they draped us off so we wouldn't see him where he went. So it was <laughs> oh. like, yeah, like, they would, like, he's coming. So if you sit in So they would trap y'all inside. So you're sitting there knowing that he's going, that he's walking by. But you could see him on the way in because he had a police following him. He would do this. It was real shit. He would come in and then he would cross. And then he would, um, and he would, you know, he he would tell the managers, you know, tell Chris, I'm in the, you know, I'm in my dressing room. Come holler at me, whatever, before they, whatever. So he never let me go because it was just like, you know, not too many people go in the dressing right. room. So Chris and them, they'd go back there and kick it with him and they'd come back and they'd be like, yo, he, he, he fucking with us. Like, we, he really be like, he know who we are, da, 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 da. Because that's how I was always trying to figure out if Sony made the, the the move because everybody was on Sony to put Chris Cross on there. He was really more like, really focused on Chris Cross being on his tour. And he liked the fact that they was young and they had that energy to give before his show came on. Was it Was it easy to teach them like... Uh Things that you don't learn, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're in stadiums, in soccer stadiums. I know he's playing to like 85,000 people. Like, how do you teach them how to project to 85,000 people? Like, well, that's, that's what I tell people all the time. You know, I got this TV show, The Rap Game, where I teach these kids. And I try to tell these kids all the time, like, 
everybody think they can rap and everybody think they got this swag, but they ain't really got that shit. Like what I've seen crisscross. Like I said, when I met them, they had a swag that I had never seen in 11 and 12 year olds. So they was instantly easy to grab onto what they were supposed to do to continue to have that swag that they thought they had before. So when their record blew up, they was doing shows every day. Crisscross was like the first rap group to do um, KML Summer Jam, then catch a helicopter to do Power 106 in the same day, and then get on a plane and come back to New York and do something the next day. Like that's how they was they was performing because of that song. So they got the practice in, and they got enough practice in to know that when we get out here, we can really go on tour and do stadiums. They their mentality was we gonna kill this, and they just was into it. Was it overwhelming for them? Like, it's to start at that level. Like, how do you, how do you come down from that level when you're, you know, one of the? I'm, I'm certain that you didn't have any idea that this nah, shit was going to sell like nah. seven, eight million units. Yeah, you don't know what to do. You just going with the flow. You know, it's right. a, it, like I said, it's like a, it was a thing that wasn't even supposed to happen and I've learned that these kids could rap and they did it and it just turned into that and you just like sitting back watching like this is crazy and it wasn't hard to keep them focused at all on nah I mean cause like I said once again once they realized that they was rappers and people was looking at them like this they was so into it I wouldn't I didn't have any problem they was so their appetite was worse than mine so it was through them that you uh, got to develop your uh, label which yeah so crisscross sold 8 million and then Sony wanted to do more business with me right. and they wanted me to have my own label and they wanted to see what I could bring they didn't know they was I was 19 years old by the way they didn't know what I could do so what did you see in Escape that told you okay you guys are next I see how I can well Escape came to my house the same guy Ian who brought <laughs> left out of my house he brought Escape to my house to sing for my birthday and there was this girl group from College Park that was out there doing things and they came and they sung Happy Birthday to me and I was just like y'all sound different than regular Happy Birthday than I regular you know usually here I'm just I'm liking this Happy Birthday right so right. I'm like um when I get my label I'm gonna sign y'all and they was like yeah okay whatever I ain't have so so deaf I just told them I was gonna do it same thing I did with sometimes Love I just said I'm gonna do it I ain't have no label yet but I knew I was gonna get one cause we selling too many records right. so um they came and like I got my deal and I called in I said yo I wanna sign these girls and at that point I knew that I had to define myself as a producer cause that's what I wanted people to pay attention to me as as a producer you have to show people that you have the skill to do more than what people thought you could do as, you know, just rap music or whatever, this, that, and the third. And I had all of this other <clears throat> musical talent inside my body that I hadn't let out on the Crisscross record. And I signed Escape and I started writing their songs. And the first song I wrote for them was just kicking it. And I, you know, and I made Candy sing just like I made T-Boss sing. That's why she's low in that song. Right. Um, and, you know, it was the same I had already been setting myself up for this type of stuff, so I just was sending whoever came in through the same process that I had already started earlier. Now, I mean, around 93, 94, 95, I mean, we're getting into what I feel like the the the, the true, the business element of hip-hop, mm -hmm. where now Bad Boy's developing, Bad Boy's developing, Death Row's developing. Um, but then there's also, like, kind of we're entering the, the, the danger zone. Like, it's not, well, I mean, You've been around shit since you was 12, so I'm sure you saw some dark shit that, you know, yeah. a 12-year-old shouldn't be seeing. But I mean, I've seen people get stabbed after midnight. 
In Philly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, I mean, I now said the spaghetti one, factory. Said, oh, okay, got you. I said a lot of shit. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't born yet. <laughs> it was on Spring Whoa. Garden. Whoa. Spring Garden. Whoa, okay. Anyway, but it's... At least at that time in 94, I considered, okay, now now the business mecca to be New York, which is Puffy, L.A., which is Shook, and Atlanta, which is you. And, okay, I'll, I'll throw in uh, Houston, which, of course, because I fear for my life, Jay Prince. Um, so now that you're your empire, how do you deal with the, not the muscle aspect, but now you're playing with the big dog. Mm-hmm. And you see what's going on rivalry wise and all that stuff. You kind of been Switzerland with all this stuff as far as neutral. Yeah. You've been cool with New York Cats. You've been cool with LA. How, how hard was it to maneuver, you know, through what was developing in hip hop at the time in 93, 94? Well, 95? it wasn't for me because I felt like, you know, um, I started out on the Fresh Fest. So I started out with everybody being my friend. So that was my mentality. So, like, when Puff started doing parties here in New York, I heard about him. I come to New York and come to Puff parties and see what it was. I wanted to be around all my competition to see what they was doing. So I came to New York. I became Puff's friend. We caught hanging out. I go to his parties, party kick and see how he's throwing parties. And I go back to Atlanta. I throw my parties, right? And then um, once I would come back to Atlanta and throw my parties, I would say like, yo, I, I met these guys. I need to call them down to Atlanta and come, you know, come party where I'm, what I'm doing, right? And they, and they, I think. My non-interest in what they was doing was interesting to them. Like I wasn't interested in what, whatever they was, whatever they was doing. That was cool. I was still trying to do what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? So like, when all the artists or record labels was doing rap, I went and did an R&B album. So they wouldn't really, they couldn't follow. I didn't have no pattern that everybody was going on. I was going through like when I did Escape, nobody else was making R&B, you know, R&B groups. Everybody wanted to rap. Right, so then when I would did the brat, nobody wasn't fucking with female rappers. They was all trying to do guys, and it right. was like so. I just kept seeing this like, oh, I'm I'm gonna maneuver like this. I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna do something different. So, um, long story short, I just I, I saw that as my place. I saw these guys just trying to fight for the same space, and I'm like, shit, I'm cool. I'm getting my money. I'm doing what I'm doing in my own space, and I'm gonna just be cool with them. Um, I didn't even know like how serious this East Coast West Coast thing was getting. Um, so I invited both Puff and Suge to my birthday party in Atlanta, um, and not thinking about anything, like, you know, just come, I want y'all to be there. I want to have that flavor in Atlanta and at my birthday party. What and, year is this? Um, I don't know. I don't know the year. Well, it has to be 94. It, it, somewhere around before the shit starts hitting the fan. Well, this is when it hit the fan. This yeah, I remember. It, this, that, this, this is this is when it hit fan. Wait like, a minute, it, that was your birthday party. Yeah, it was my birthday. I party. remember I was in college because they depicted like it in the movie, but they never said yeah, it was. Yeah, it was someone. my it was my birthday party when the shit hit the fan. Yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah, I, and I didn't I didn't realize that that was 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 happening. But they both were brought to Atlanta by me, and they came to Atlanta, and you know. um they were eyeing each other throughout the party, and it was like a thing. But I'm thinking, you know, that's how hip hop is. And then it got to it after my after my party went to an after party, and um, you know, words were said, and somebody got killed. Mm-hmm. Y'all, I didn't even know. Yeah. Okay, that's Questlove Supreme, ladies. Wait. <laughs> so now, Check, please. Now I'm like trying to figure out where, like, where does um, the brats, the B side, fit into this? Um, okay, so 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 
Um, there's so many stories, but all right. So when, like I said, me and Puff was cool throughout this whole period of making music, and at this time, Functified came out, and it was three hot records that came out. One was Super Hot, which was Flavor in Your Ear. Right. The second one was Functified with me and the Brat. And then the third was juicy for all the hip-hop people there. It wasn't a successful record like Functified and Flavor and Year. So Big was, was all, all the same year. Big Good was God. so frustrated with the fact that we was having success and Flavor and Year was killing him and he was coming on stage and people weren't really like understanding who they was looking at. So then Big thought, I'm gonna get cool with JD and I'm gonna get him to make me a beat. So every day. We went on this tour. We went on a Chintless Circuit tour where it was just these three artists, the Brat, Craig, Mack, and Biggie. And we went all around the little Chintless Circuit and did all these shows. So in that time period, me and Biggie became really cool. And he talked to me all the time about how did, like, how did you get Honey to, how you get honey popping like that? Like, why people don't like my record? Like, he used to ask me all kind of crazy questions. Like, cause Wait, it, he was under the impression that nobody Juicy liked was... Nobody like, like, cause we was in the South. By the way, you, this is not New York. This is the right. South. We was in Florida. We was doing in Atlanta. Juicy wasn't nothing. You serious? Nothing. But the numbers. So that was all New York. That's all Northeast. All Northeast. Atlanta had his own. Shit That's going crazy. On. Cause even culturally, I would think that when the smoke clears, <laughs> Juicy sort of inched. I, everybody freestyled over. Yeah, not flavor that, in your ear, but I feel like Juicy's the more iconic. It is, but it was like it took forever. Biggie to, had to die too. Well, no, nah, no, nah, it. it wasn't that. It was it just had to be worked. It was just you know it was the beginning of working your rap records. That and was working. a hard sell. Yeah, it was a hard sell. Working your the rap juicy record was a hard sell for 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 the other areas like the South. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's not the Northeast. I yeah. Get it. So so you know Biggie was like, yo, um, you know, make me a record. Do something for me, man. Let me do something. Do something for me. So he asked me so many times that once they released Big Papa. He wanted me to do the remix, the remix. of Big, Big Papa. So uh-huh. he told okay. Puff, yo, JD's doing the remix of Big Papa. Because he didn't believe in the success of Big Papa. He didn't think it was going to work. Which, he thought they was going to have to put out the JD version. In Indiana, where I grew up, that's we, the version? That's the version we heard on the radio See? all the time. See what I'm saying? the JD remix. Damn. With those goddamn hi-hats. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so, so when, Biggie, when Biggie came to do, well, what? So Biggie said, yo, I want to do a real remix. I want you to redo the beat. I don't want to rap over this. I want you to take, let's do a real remix. So he wanted to actually make a new song. In his mind, he was like, yo, I'm going to go to Atlanta. I'm going to make a new record, and it's going to relaunch my career. So he came to Atlanta. I said, we're going to re-vocal Big, I mean, Big Papa. I'm going to give you a beat, and you can do the rap over. So I made the beat, and he rapped the song over. When he finished the rapping, because he rapped the song so fast and he was done so quick, when he finished, he's like, let's make another song. And he was like, where Honey at? And I'm like, who you talking about? He was like, Brat. Where she at? Get her over here. Brat. Well, get over here real quick, man. Brat, Brat actually lived upstairs in my mother's house, so she was upstairs. And he ain't know. So I was like, she upstairs, I'll tell her come down. So he came downstairs, he was like, yo, I want to do a song with Honey, man. Make a record, I'm going to do a song with Honey. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So, um. I wasn't. I was just like, I know what he want. I was just trying to think of like, what would be a jump fast record for Biggie if I could give him that record, and I wanted to give him a loop. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to just make a beat. I was like, we gonna sample something. You know, we gonna figure it out. And I put up the outstanding beat, the loop, and I was like, rap over this. 
and you know this guy's incredible. He made that beat sound like it had a bass line on it before I even put the bass line on there. Right. So then I was just like, he was like, Brad, you gonna come in after me? So he started making the song and I'm trying to make the beat at the same time while he's rapping and this song just happened. That's why we don't have no title, it's called the B-side. It was just like, what's the name of this song? We don't fuck that, just rap. And it was like, that's how the song came about, so. Man, all right, so I, okay, I'm, I'm, sk- <laughs> I'm skipping a little bit. Because I know we got limited time, but um, even though I mean you're you're associated with many artists, I always feel like your crowning achievement as a producer was working with Usher. Thank you. Yeah, and first of all, how does that happen? Because you you spearheading like how do you take the the little kid who did just call me a mech and how did you how did you take him and fully develop him into the artist as far as like choosing his songs and like what was it that um it's basically the same situation that I had already been through right um I started Usher Usher came to me when Chris Cross was popping and he asked me to sign him I told him no because I was tired of dealing with parents at this particular point because Chris Cross was getting big and their parents was like arguing and fighting. It was all the parents and I'm like, I'm not dealing with this shit no more. I don't want no kid rappers. I mean kid artists. So I passed on signing Usher and then LaFace signed Usher. Right. So then that Call Me A Mac album didn't really, really work. But everybody felt like Jermaine could revive your career if you go do a remix. So um, they brought me... um, What's the song? Um, so think of you, wasn't it? Think of you, yeah. right? Yeah. So they brought me "Think of You" and they said, "Jermaine, please do a remix to Think of You." So I did a remix to "Think of You," and in the midst of that, I felt like the song needed a bridge because I was just trying to figure out some way to make my remix feel different than the record. So I added a bridge to the song, and I told Usher he had to come in and sing the bridge over. So when he came in, he sung the bridge that I had written for him, and he sung it just like I had him, like I did it. And then they heard his vocals, and they was like, "Oh shit, what did you do to him?" And I'm like, I just told him to sing the bridge. And they was like, well, would you work on his next album? Like, just take him and do whatever the hell you want to do with him. And I'm like, that sounds crazy. But okay. And I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? I didn't know. They just put it in my hands. And I felt, and I found out that if it didn't work with me, Usher would have probably got dropped. Right? So Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Usher came to my house and he became like a so-so deaf artist. He basically stayed in my house. Every night, and we just talked and worked and talked and worked and talked and worked until we got to my way. But what's the process of you getting these songs out? Because, I mean, these aren't like average songs. These are like staples. You make me want it and all that stuff. Like, how did you... What What's your process of getting to know the artist and what type of songs, the right song, and who... I mean, well, I went through a bunch of records. I've started making songs that I thought were like... Um, I don't even know what you could call the first songs, but I know that he said, yo, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Bobby Brown. I want Bobby Brown to fear me. So then I started looking at my prerogative. <laughs> Check. So I started looking at my prerogative and I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm thinking like, I can't make no harder record than my prerogative. This shit is crazy. And I, Teddy Riley's my idol, so I'm not, I'm like, he, I, I can't make a better record than my prerogative. So I was just trying to make records that I felt like would go to bat with these songs at least, right? So I made Nice and Slow, and I played it for L.A., and he didn't like that song. And I'm like, 
how do you don't like this song? And I'm like, nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing it. I, you hear how Usher's singing? Seven o'clock on the dot. I'm in my dot top. Who's in the streets? I'm saying, who you know talking like this as a R&B artist? They want not get none of that shit. So that song was like put to the side. So then Usher was like, man, I, this, I need something like prerogative. This is my, I want this shit my way. And I was like, oh, my way. Okay, let's do that. Let's do it your way. And we start making my way. And then we got to my way. My way was probably going to be the first single. I didn't have you make me want him. And my way is probably going to be the first single. And I wrote him a rap. He was rapping. It just felt like it was like the new sound for Usher. But I still wasn't convinced. I wasn't sold yet. I was like, uh, they ain't like nice and slow. And I was on the nice and slow shit. I was trying to get that off. Like the singing rap type singing, right? And they wasn't really sold on it. So um, L.A. was like, we're going to put out My Way as the first single. And when he told me that, I left the office and I went home and I started making You Make Me Wanna. And I was like, I just felt like he didn't have that one yet. I was it didn't, He didn't have that one. So I started making You Make Me Wanna and I wrote the first verse and I had the hook. And I played it for Usher and he was like, man, it's all right. That ain't really what I'm talking about. Because he wanted the My Way. He wanted the prerogative. You know, he wanted that. So I was like, I, don't, I said, you tripping. So I left and I took the song back to LaFace and I played the song for LA. And he was like, yo, go finish that song right now. That's it. So I went back to the studio and I finished You, know, you Make Me Wanna. And I got Usher on the song and he sung the song like he loved it. And the rest is history. How often do you have to browbeat uh, your artist when it comes to vocals? Bribe them? No, browbeat. I'm sorry. I, I've I made it known on the show that the one process of production I hate the most is vocal takes. Mm. I hate that shit. So usually I have someone else. Do it. Because I don't have a good chemistry. Patience. Yeah, I don't have the patience. patience or, do so um, how do you, and especially at the time, I mean, I mean, Pro Tools was a thing here and there, but you weren't, mid-90s, early mid-90s, you were, yeah, yeah. you were literally working this Well, shit. see, my thing is this, you know, if you can really sing, and you understand music, and you listen to my demo, then automatically it's going to sound better than what I'm listening to anyway, or what I'm thinking anyway, right? So that's how I make my records. I'm like, listen to me first, and do exactly what I'm doing, but do it the way you would do it in your real singing voice. So most of the time when they do that, that shit starts starting to sound way better than what I'm thinking. So for every <laughs> for every hit that you have... That I wrote. There's a Jermaine Dupree version of it out there. 100%. Oh, uh, it's going to be Prince time when you pass away. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so, so, I mean, I did this last, like, two weeks That'd ago, or three weeks ago at the ASCAP album. convention in L.A., and it was like, go, you under, start playing your joint? go under the hood of confessions. And I gave them basically a snap look at how I wrote that song and how the song came about and let them, you know, listen to me actually sing the song like that. That's interesting. I would no. I would love to hear that. No, not just because it's, it's interesting. Like I, I was the type of kid that took all my toys apart because I wanted to see how they worked. Yeah. So like to be able to hear a demo, your demo of a song like "Nice and Slow" or something like that, which just is fascinating to me. Yeah, it's so, bad, but you know it's good. Plus, but, you sing. But it's still you could. But if I heard, it, I could still hear how. Yeah, how I mean, it went from yeah. that to the version that, that we yeah, all know. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that's why when you introduce me, you say I don't get the credit. I feel like. People don't really understand that those Usher records is why Trey Song sounded the way he sounded and the way Chris Brown started singing the way he sang. This is these records created that sound. Yeah, it was definitely the template for it. 
Um, I know that also Mariah came to you at a, a crucial point in her career. No. Before that, I... Not a crucial point? No. Nah, I did always be my baby. That's first. what I'm talking about. That wasn't crucial. She was No, huge. but the thing was 90, no, 95. You got to understand, though. Like, always be my baby and fantasy remix. That was a very radical term for her. At least from the tutelage that she was under with Tommy Mottola. With... Making sure that I mean, okay, like you know, Dream Lover had the the breakbeat and all that stuff. It was cute, but it was still like it was in major key. Like it, it wouldn't start no riot at no mall in no, America. No, not at all. Uh. But at least with 1995, with her insisting, like, yo, I'm trying to make some shit that, like, I would listen to in a club. Like her going to to Wu Tang and Puffy and going to you. Mm-hmm. It's like that was in my eyes radical, which. Okay. You know, getting the record and being a, a, a connoisseur of, of credits, I'm like, oh, they're loosening the reins on her. They're letting her work with us. Yeah, and, yeah, and that you. sort of thing. I get it. So, first of all, in in working with her, was it a thing of like you getting instructions like, don't go too hardcore. Don't you know? We already have one Wu Tang song. Just try to give her. No, we had this conversation last night. Um, I'm. I'm the musical person when it comes to Mariah Carey. She's the rapper. It completely a flip when we go in the studio. We had this same conversation last night. Oh, so you're the conservative one, and she's the one that wants. Yeah, because I'm the- like I'm trying to protect who she is at all times because I feel like I feel like you know she has an image that you can you know if you can keep it in this space. Just don't you ain't gotta go overboard. You could just keep it in this space and put like you just said, she had a loop, but it wouldn't get people killed. It was still what we like, but right. it was not crazy. And I'm always like, let's make records like that. Like let's continue the 17 million, 20 million spot. I'm cool. What's wrong with that? Was never broken. Let's let's do it. Ariana Grande came out and like that's basically what she wants to do. So it's like Mariah's a rapper. 100%. The first day I worked with Mariah, Mariah came to the studio and she brought cream and she said, I wanted to sing over this. I want you to sample this. And I said... So how are you like, eh, dial it back a little bit. And I'm like, what? And, I'm, and Tommy Mottola was standing there when she did this. And I'm thinking, like you said, I'm like, nah, I'm not fucking with this cream shit. That's not going to happen. I'm not doing really? this. Yeah, 100%. That actually sounds like was it, might work, was it the fear of you didn't want to be... The guy that fucked blank. up her career. Yeah. I, I knew... <laughs> Because that would have been a great idea. 100%. At the time when she asked me to do it, it would have made it amazing. But you didn't want to be the guy holding the yeah, in nah, case and, this fell apart. And I and like like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I have a super, super musical side of me. Right. right? When I start doing R&B records, I turn into a very musical person that wants to hear a lot of different chords and different things and the way the song is supposed to go. So, um. And I had just did, you know, Usher. So it was it was R&B time for me, right? So I was like, uh-uh, I need something that fits into what I just did with Usher. I'm having success here. Let's do something that has this feel. So then Emmanuel started playing the boom, doom, boom, doom, boom, doom, 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 And I'm like, see, if we put some 808 on that shit, it's over with. That's how I believe in 808 on anything and that's it. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? 
And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa! Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. So by this period, okay, now I'm using a Fonte term. What's the division of labor as far as uh, who is in your team, your production team, as far as, okay, it's 1997 and I'm Mariah Carey. I want to make sure that, you know, you, I'm Mariah Carey. Okay, I work with Mariah Carey. I'm like, yo, producer record. What is Team Dupree? Like, what's going on? Me what's the songwriting session? Me and Emmanuel Seal. So what's the songwriting session like? Um... He's like, do you have something ahead of time, a, or is it like nah, you work in I mean, real time? Yeah, he's we just work right off the, you know, right off the cuff. He's he's an extra keyboard player, guitar player. You know, he plays instruments, and um, I play what I play, and then I make the beats, and I have the ideas basically, and I write the I write the lyrics basically. Or however, you know, if with Usher, that's how it was. It was me and him, and we basically did the song that whole album like that. Um, and then we went to Mariah. It was me and Emmanuel when we made "Always Be My Baby." Do you engineer or 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 mix your own records as well? Nah. Okay. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, I do it. You know, I do my rough before it goes, but I don't. Yeah, I don't touch that. Amir mentioned 1997, and I always I feel like with Atlanta, something happened between like '96 and I don't know '99, where, of course, starting with you, the music industry just built faster than any other industry in most major cities. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of... Not t- Freaknik or Jack the Rapper? Well, all I mean, you got to consider all those things. Like, conferences were coming. We ha- You did have Freaknik, but, like, it just was a crazy, like, five years in Atlanta, and I don't know if everybody understands and how it broke down and whatnot. I mean, well, like you said, it was Freaknik. It was things that weren't happening in other major cities that, that people were... 
like looking like what and post Olympics. Like, so at what point? What point was Atlanta seen as? You know, because I know that northeast northeastern people are very cocky and whatever. Like, oh, you country five. Suddenly, Atlanta's the shit. Mm-hmm. Like, when do you feel that Atlanta like arrived? Like, when yeah, when, I built when this I, shit. When I was having parties and everybody started coming. Um, when 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 if Jermaine Dupri have a party, everybody was going to Atlanta for the party. Freaknik was the start of this, but then I started. You know, I did this. How can I live weekend? Where um, your version of the NWA pool party? Nah, 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 nah. nah. <laughs> Matter of fact, it, it wasn't. It was my thing was called Can I Live? Right? Because I had just did. I had just did the Money Anything record, and and right. what what was interesting? What I was getting back was that people felt like in the South, I introduced them to Jay Z, right? Because people in the South weren't <laughs> listening to Reasonable yeah. Doubt. You know, that wasn't their album. They weren't into the that none of those records in Atlanta. None of that was happening. So people was like. They felt like I was introducing them to them, and and Jay and everybody was coming to Atlanta, you know, taking this love. Yeah, and, people come to you to get I mean, some love elsewhere besides yes, the North. Yeah, so that's what happened. So people, I think people started paying attention to this, like this momentum. You know, Mace came to Atlanta for my birthday party to get signed. Nelly came to Atlanta to try to get me to sign him at my birthday party. I had this crazy birthday party at the, the High Museum on Peachtree, mm. and I had... All of those guys there, I had New Edition there, I had Maya, Elton John, um, everybody was, you know, whoever was, somebody was trying to be at Jermaine Dupree party and people were, like, I remember, like, yesterday, even the the paper, it said, what does Jermaine Dupree have that's making everybody want, like, Elton John, what do you have a reason to be around BBD and Maya and Jermaine Dupree? What's the purpose? What's what's the connection, right? I'm trying to imagine that conversation right now. Now, oh, well, you know, Elton John is cool. He loves black music. I know that, Like, for real, like, he loves black music. I know that, but still, it's just an odd pairing. Yeah, well, I mean, he wanted me to know he was cool and he came to party. Uh, But I think that's what it was, what you're talking about. It was just like, people saw that happening and it it was just like, like I said, I wasn't paying attention to everybody else. Whatever people was doing in New York, that's what they was doing in New York. I... I was determined to make Atlanta stand out just like New York and L.A. Like, but See, then there was a point when Atlanta started taking in this and pushing its chest out with pride to the point where, like, it wasn't so much the Northeast record would get played first. Now Atlanta is supporting each other on the radio, and it's records that you would never hear in other places. 100%. And things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just think that people don't really understand that about Atlanta in that way. Like, I would say that about, like, somebody like Rashida. Like, Rashida is a star in Atlanta because of Atlanta and Atlanta radio and everybody embracing her when yeah. she was emceeing. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tug of war type of mentality because people weren't really receptive of things that was coming from Atlanta like that. Um, almost to the point where Jermaine Dupri was getting the success. So a lot of people in Atlanta was mad at me because I was getting success that a lot of them weren't getting at the same time. So it was like they didn't understand why my records was working. So then they, they you have, I've heard people say crazy shit about my records and, you know, JD ain't from Atlanta and he, I don't sound like outcast and this, that, and the third. Like it was, but my, my, my childhood and my life was different than that. I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Atlanta. I grew up on tour. So can you explain, <laughs> can you explain the science of what would be now known as trap culture? Because, Initially, I thought that you guys were more of a refined, what was supposed to be Miami's uh, identification of of bass music. I always felt that you guys were a more refined bass music. Like, you guys did better work with those type of Planet Rock beats and 808 stuff. 100%. You know, 
and then trap culture develops. Yeah. How how do you feel like are you in your heart the old I know you're technically not supposed to agree with this like are you the old schooler that's sort of looking like <sighs> okay whatever or like are you still about like if kids are about it then that's the future and I support it and that sort of well, thing. Well, I mean it's it's hard to it's hard for me to even have talk about this because if you listen to Jermaine Dupree records that are like some non so so deaf artist records, the records are trap. Like if you listen to Grills by Nelly, okay, this was before people started saying trap records. This is but but it's by Nelly and it became a number one top one hundred record, and it's not connected to the right. trap, so it don't it don't come off like that's what that is. But the sound of the record, the sound of the record is one hundred percent. Boom, boom. It's all the same elements. Right. You know, the 808 is overbearing. Over, right. the, the small boys. little kick. The franchise boys. Bone Crusher. Young Bloods. All of this shit is what you're basically listening to now. Um, so to me, I'm, I'm, I think people disconnect me from being with that sound, but that's that's been the sound. Like you make me want it to me sounds like a trap record to definitely. me with, with guitars it's, on it, right? It's definitely a precursor to trap music. Yeah. yeah. So I just I don't look at it as I look at it as like people were listening to that sound and they just decided what to do. I also feel like trap music, ultimately, I don't like that title because I think people use that title to let us in as opposed to just saying it's the Atlanta sound. I wish people would stop calling it trap and say Atlanta music like they say everybody else. That's that LA sound. That's that New York sound. That's that Atlanta sound. Stop saying trap because trap makes it puts it in a box and it's like, okay, yeah, you got a trap set. No, this is two hours of Atlanta music. Ah. Music from all of the artists in Atlanta. You go to New York right now, you're going to hear <laughs> two hours of records from Atlanta. Stop saying trap. That's what I wish people would do. So what do you feel now is the future? Like, are you done with Atlanta or is it just starting? Like for you, is there more to reveal to the world as far as what your next move is going to be, I don't know, as executive or... Um, no, nah, I mean, I, I, you know, you have to continue to keep finding ways to open the doors for Atlanta. So I got the TV show, and, you know, with the TV show, I bring five kids to Atlanta right. and expose them to what kids in Atlanta are exposed to. Um, kids in Atlanta have it better than mostly every other city kids out here, period. Like... Um, in Brooklyn, I don't think they have talent shows for kids where kids can do things. I don't think they have skating rinks where they allow you to perform. I don't think they have it. Just when you want to be an entertainer in Atlanta, we have more elements than you know. I find out because these kids come and they like, yo, we don't have nothing. Like one of the kids came from Chicago, and she was talking about how they close the skating rinks and kids don't really have anything to do, right? In Atlanta, the kids got, they can go to things and perform and people see them and do just so many different outlets that people are opening that we already had. So, so roller skating culture is still a thing? 100%. Wednesday, every Wednesday, every Monday, every Sunday, this is going on. And wow. So with all of this stuff going on, I'm still pushing Atlanta culture. I think that that's, that's the most, you know, that's the most important thing. And I, I still feel like Atlanta's yet to have their Kendrick Lamar or their J. Cole or their Jay-Z yet in this era. 
We had it prior. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm saying we had it prior. I'm just saying, I'm saying, yeah. I'm, I'm saying in this era, in okay. this era, it feels like you know it's a new artist every week. Okay, right? It's, it feels like it's a new hot artist every week. So I'm just saying, I still feel like the city is so hot that one of these rappers that people look at as a problem rapper. Because like I said, they they label everything in Atlanta so much as trap that they don't fear anything. Right. You know what I mean? If you say, Oh, he's just that's that's just trap. So it don't it don't ever get into the box of, oh shit, you know, this guy, you know what I'm saying? It's never well, that Who that, do you feel that's unbeknownst to us, but who do you feel that's bubbling under that's gonna make an impact right now? Like what artists do you feel that are I mean, it's a lot of underground artists in Atlanta that really rap that that could possibly do this. Um, I feel like I felt like Sahai was gonna be that guy for a second. Oh, okay. Um, you know, he's with the right crew and he understands what I'm talking about. Like, if a lot of people might not even know that Sahai's from Atlanta, I did not know I that. Sahai I figured he was from Chicago guy. Yeah. I thought he was Chicago. Yeah. Nah, he's from he's from he's from the East Side of Atlanta and he raps. <laughs> Shit, I didn't know that Kanye was from Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's from Atlanta too. So I mean, you know, like I said, it's 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 we still got room. Because of how people put it in the box. If people open up the box to do what I'm doing, then it might be a little different. But I'm saying I wish people would stop that because I think trap, the word trap music came from EDM DJs wanting the ability to play rap music in their sets. And not call it. And not call it rap music. Let me ask you. We're talking about Diplo. Wait. (laughs) Oh. Can I? Can I? Override? Yes, it's your Uh-oh. name. Uh, what did okay. I do? Did I what? push open the trap? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's never a battle, boss. It's never a battle. Go I'm ahead. about to. Oh, <laughs> about to rain on parade. Uh oh. How happy are you to do an interview in which no one has to ask you any Janet Jackson questions? <laughs> it's not over. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's why. I... No, actually, I didn't. I had little John questions, so uh, that wasn't even the case. All right, I want to be the first. I, I mean, listen, you I know, want to be me, the first. Let me let me say this. I I don't. Um, I don't look at any of that as as a problem because my life is not regular, Mm-mm. right? And if you if you don't understand that your life is not regular, then you won't be celebrating your life the way you're supposed to, right? Right. Um, I had a girl tell me, like, nigga, do you even know that I don't know another person that's dated Janet Jackson? Like, <laughs> this is what the girl told me, right? Yeah. And I'm like. I'm thinking, I'm listening to her, I'm like, and I'm listening to her in in a in a not paying attention to what she's saying mindset. But then it hit me like that's what people actually think. So if you don't ask me the question, then it it didn't it wasn't something that resonated in your life. But I'm saying, but I Janet at one Jackson point it becomes an obsession, a, and, and it overshadows your yeah, history. But, I, but I'm saying she's such a cultural staple in our culture. That is hard for people to ignore it, right? So I, I understand it. It's not something that, you know, it is what it is. Okay, we'll ask one question. Uh, what was it like meeting the family? Like, was... I, you, ain't have, you have never heard me say about this before? No, I've not. It was I've the not. most shocking... Um, I want to say shocking moment, but it shouldn't be shocking because their last name is Jackson. Oh, they black. They black back there. Right? Mm-hmm. Black. And they're from Gary, Indiana. And it's five <laughs> brothers... To the girl that I was dating. Six. Ooh, Randy almost kicked your butt. Niggas, by the way. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I remember that. like the first time I went to their house, and um, I think it was Jackie. And Jackie told me, you know, I might probably shouldn't be saying this, but Jackie said, uh, JD, you gotta understand what life was like being a Jackson. 
<laughs> I had to. He said, we was the only, everybody listen to what I'm saying. We was the only niggas in California with Ferraris. In California. Yeah. Just so you understand what I'm saying. state. Yes. The only niggas in that city, in L.A., driving Ferraris. Yeah. And he went on to let me know, you know, they fucked everybody, yeah. basically. And, you know, this, this, it's like, and one of the conversations I had with her was that she had, she told me when we first started dating is that, just understand I've seen everything. It's nothing that you can get away with. It's nothing that you can <laughs> tell me that I haven't heard. I've, I've hidden girls under my bed for my brothers because their girlfriend was downstairs. <laughs> like, it's crazy shit that, you know, so when you meet this family... You think about them from entertainers, but they are just as normal as we are, mm-hmm. and if not more ghetto, ghetto. and country. They're from Gary, Indiana. 100%. I know exactly how they are. 100%. Did you ever remind Michael that he didn't talk to you on that tour when it was with Criss Cross? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you know, that's another thing. Like, you you know, with the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson thing, you got to pick a side. That's true. Okay, I hear you. All right. So okay, <laughs> can, can I just can I just ask an Atlanta question? Check, no, go ahead. Because yes, you, you mentioned that Atlanta, you know, is in a place where most major cities aren't as far as programs and things of that nature. And one of those reasons I feel like maybe because they are so new in this in this industry. But another reason is because of the politics in Atlanta. You know, not so much Georgia, but maybe Atlanta. And I was just curious if you have made because everybody's been talking about Atlanta politics lately and the young the potential that you guys have. Are you like involved in the culture of the politics? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, my my goal is to make sure that people understand that Atlanta is mentally a different space, right? And I grew up in a different mindset than he grew up in Philly. Where are you from? Uh, Indiana. Oh North yeah, North I grew North up North. in a different mind, definitely different mindset than you in in in, in Indiana. Black people in in Atlanta are not intimidated by white people, and are not intimidated by anybody of a different color with money. Now, never. Never? Never. We have never been... That ain't post-Olympics neither? Never been intimidated, like, to the point where we don't believe that we can do it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and that mentality goes deep. That's the mentality that Martin Luther King had. If you listen to what he was saying, he was thinking from a unbothered mindset. He didn't believe anything could touch him based on what he was saying. And if he would have stayed in Atlanta, he probably would have still been alive. Right. Because that's just that's the mindset of the city. Right. When you look at, you know, last two weeks ago when I was filming the rap game, I took the kids from other cities and I called the mayor and I was like, yo, I want you to be on my TV show and I want you to talk to these kids. And she was like, OK, cool. Come. I'm going to give you time. Blah, 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 blah. Now that I made it look easy, but I'm saying in when I'm looking at hip hop on the rest of these, you know, the networks and all of this, how many times you see all these rappers hanging with their mayors. Like, it's not really a true connection. They represent their cities, but they're not really connected to way, the way that we are in Atlanta. And we make, and, the, and our cultural people, the mayors and the politicians, they make sure that they pay attention to what's happening inside our neighborhoods and what we're doing in these neighborhoods to get Atlanta to this place, right? Atlanta's almost about to be the first state or city with a black, Governor and a black mayor, at, female at the same time. Both female, both yeah, black both, women. Both, yes. both black women. Yes. This is about to happen. And I just think that, you know, 
the mindset of a black person coming from Atlanta is just a lot different than everybody else. So I think that's why that's why that's going like that. It's like we don't have no intimidation. I'll move next. You got a big ass house. I'm gonna get a big ass house. And there's nothing that's intimidating about me. Like it's no area in Atlanta if you know. Yeah. Like in other cities, they got white areas. Right. That's or true. they got a different area. In Atlanta, if the shit is hot, the niggas is going. Yeah, that's going what I said. Like, oh, that's what. Oh, over there, the houses cost ten million. Psh, best believe, my homeboy from College Park, he gonna be over there a week from now. Like, it's nothing intimidating in Atlanta. Everything is no area is off limits. If this the area where everybody say they rich at, then Big Meech gonna be over there. You know what I mean? That's just the, that's the mentality of Atlanta, and that's that's. I want people to know that, and I think that's why people come there because they 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 start gathering that and like, damn, this is what's happening out here. I'm, mean, you know, I never and I've seen Spike Lee do a lot in Brooklyn, but I don't believe that I don't believe that um, Spike Lee could go talk to the mayor of New York and and they have a real cool thing and show everybody, and it's right. something that's fly that happens, and the mayor understands what he's talking about, and he, I don't I don't see this type of stuff, right? And that's why I feel like. Um, Tyler Perry, what he's doing yeah. only could happen in Atlanta. Yeah. Because there's no other place that supports the movement the way, and it's no intimidation. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We move it to Atlanta again. From the, <laughs> from the future, once the future governor of Atlanta, <laughs> Jermaine Dupree. Oh. Brother, I'm, this, I, I got two questions. Oh, good. Two, two, okay. two quick questions. Okay. Um, first one, let's brag on your catalog a little bit. Is there any record? Well, what's one record that you've done that didn't really get the attention you thought it should have done, it should have gotten, that you think we should all go back and listen to? I can to? answer that question. But you're not Jermaine Dupree, nope. so I'd like his answer first. Um, I'm still jumping. The clip's on. I got good. Fallen. Or on the Jay-Z record? Oh, okay. You know what? Yeah. yeah. Shit, you did that? Yeah, yeah look at you. Yeah. <laughs> American Gangster, right? With Bilal. And, and look, and, yeah. the, and the Bilal's hook. I sung it and he's singing it just wow. like me. You were, you did a couple of records where you used Bilal. <laughs> look at him, look a couple at him. of Bilal records. Damn, I didn't, because in my head, Puffy did that whole record. No way. Ah. I, I got one for you and I always thought this song, Damn. This song should have been a single. It's different, huh? I thought this song should have been a single um, from Janet's 20 year old record, 20 years old record. Do it to me. 100%. With the, that yeah. should have been a single. Totally. With the Brenda Russell sample. No, yeah. Brenda Russell. That shit is my favorite song in that yeah. record. 100%. By far. And my last question. Yes. You've worked with a lot of people, like all kinds of names, big, small. Who is on your list of people that you want to work with that you haven't had a chance to work with yet? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Not at, not at this point because um, I've been in a room with people who have the craziest work ethic. And, and you know, if if I don't see that in you outside of me working with you it don't i'm not really trying to go in that direction you know what i mean i i had aretha franklin tell me that i wasn't talking to her enough when she was in the booth that's what really made me really turn into more of a vocal producer and talk to the artists when they're in the studio because i was sitting in the studio i think i was like a fan and i was just like aretha franklin singing my song it's like i, I can't tell aretha yeah. franklin yeah. What like to i do. can't tell the yeah. queen of soul nothing yeah. and she hit the button like yo are you gonna say something <laughs> say something she's like why did you come way out here if you ain't gonna talk to me i go home and cook and i was like oh shit okay this what you want me to say i'm gonna tell you then that note was wrong and you know that, she got me out of my that zone to just tell artists whatever i wanted to tell them huh. Wow. And I had already been like that, but when you don't when you don't vocal the song, mm -hmm. and you just write a song, and then you get somebody else to sing the song, it's different 
because usually when my, my vocals on there, I don't have to tell them because they're listening That's to it. Right. But when it's an artist listening to somebody else, then you have to tell them exactly what you... And I, did, I wasn't really paying attention to that till I did the song with um, Aretha Franklin. And that's one of the songs that I wish would have been bigger because if I'd had a bigger record by Aretha Franklin, y'all wouldn't have been able to tell me shit. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably so, yeah. Wow. Well, I still feel like I can't tell you shit because you've got... You've sold a lot more records than I have, so. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. A lot more records than I have, which that total is zero, so. Well, brother, I thank you for uh, coming on the show. Yeah. This 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 episode has been long overdue. Yes, it has. Give it up for uh, Jermaine Debris, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Future, we should mention future uh, uh, songwriting Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, week. Thursday. Yeah, that's, less than that's... seventy-two hours. I'm so high about this. And congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to work right now. I'm going to meet Mariah at the studio as we speak. Yes, wow. back In together suit, again. He's sharp. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of Team Supreme, uh, Laia, Boss Bill, and Sugar Steve, uh, this is. Quest Love, we will see you on the next round of yeah. Quest Love Supreme. Peace. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.